Welcome to the Skillman Church of Christ. I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, as John Mark already mentioned once, I would like to put in a plug for our fifth Sunday fellowship lunch. I know, I know, I know that the Cowboys are playing at noon, but I already know, and I hope you do too, the season, it's not looking good. So join us for lunch. Uh, I, had a, I had this whole bit in my notes also. I was going to mess with Josh Schofield. Uh, he is from Michigan, and so he's rooting for the Lions today. And I had this whole bit written in my notes. I was going to you know, mess with him. Turns out he and Danielle, they didn't even stay for church today. They're going to the game. Uh, so don't make the mistake that the Schofields made. Uh, they're going to watch two teams slug it out, uh, in, and it's not going to be pretty, I don't think. But uh, please join us uh, for lunch. I'm looking forward uh, to spending time with all of you uh, as we get to fellowship together. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series on the Holy Spirit today, and we have spent the last couple weeks uh, really trying to pay attention and to focus our hearts and our minds on, on who God is through this person of the Holy Spirit. And so two weeks ago, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is in light of the Holy Spirit being a member of the Trinity, of the triune God, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we, uh, we spent a lot of our time focusing on, on how we as people in this day and age, in this world, can understand God as three in one. And it doesn't make any kind of logical, scientific sense. Uh, but we have witnessed over and over and over again in the pages of Scripture, and perhaps in your own life, of how God has shown up and, and been present with you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So even though we can't uh, describe it, even though we can't write a scientific formula to, to understand how three can be one and one can be three, we trust in our experiences and in the pages and the witness of Scripture of who God is. And last week, we spent time talking more about the Holy Spirit, specifically about how the Holy Spirit is active here among us, how we don't have to wonder, is God doing something in this world? Because the truth is that God is up to something, and God is working through us by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And every time that we uh, proclaim with our mouths, with our actions, with our lives, that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, that it is, in fact, the Spirit working through us, allowing us to make that bold, bold claim. And so today we're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to continue talking about who is this God that we meet in the Spirit. And today we're going to talk about a passage uh, that Carrie mentioned in Romans chapter 8, a passage uh, where, where what we do together in prayer is described as breathless and groaning. Now, I've got to tell you, I have a lot of experience with breathless and groaning. It's probably not the same context that Paul's writing about in Romans 8. Every time that I uh, try to convince myself that I need to get in shape, that I need to work out, as Carrie was talking about, uh, I experience breathless and groaning a lot. Uh, trust me, uh, it's not pretty. It's not, it's not good. Uh, and maybe you have experiences in your life uh, where physically or spiritually you have felt breathless and groaning. Maybe you have felt like the breath, the wind has just been knocked right out of you. Maybe it's something that's happened to you. Maybe it's something that someone else that you know is experiencing, someone that you love. But I bet in this room, we have experienced a lot of breathless and groaning. And so let's turn over to Romans chapter 8, and let's spend some time thinking about what it is that we are to do in these moments? What is it that we feel, and what is it that God is doing through us? As we begin, uh, as we look at this chapter in Romans, I want to give you a little bit of the context because we haven't been uh, in the book of Romans. Last year, we did a read through the book of Romans together and studied it a little bit, but in this particular chapter, Paul, uh, up until this point, has been writing to a, a church, a congregation in Rome that he's never met before. 
Uh, he's, he's never met this church. He's, he's never been to Rome, but he's writing to this community of believers. He's writing to them because he wants to come and visit them, but not for the, the sole uh, purpose of coming to visit them. He wants them to be a sending church, a church that will uh, accept him and then send him to the ends of the earth. One of Paul's goals is for him to preach the gospel to all people in all the world, and that includes the people in the ends of the earth. And so Paul is going to uh, hopefully visit this congregation in Rome. And so when he gets there, he wants them to know who he is. And so he writes this letter to them, uh, and he, in this letter, describes so many different things. Up to this point, Paul has been talking about who the Spirit is and what it is doing among them. Paul has been using fantastic terminology, wonderful language. He's been making these very compelling cases for who they are in the Spirit, that they are redeemed, that they are recreated through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he's writing to this church, and all of a sudden, uh, he's saying these wonderful things about how the Spirit is is redeeming them, uh, about how they, in fact, are children and heirs of God. And all of a sudden, we get to this particular passage, and Paul kind of changes the tone a little bit. And so let's read. Uh, I'm going I'm to give you a fair warning. I'm going to read just a few words, and then I'm going to stop us, because I can't get much further than a few words before having something to say today. Uh, so let's read, uh, starting in verse 18 of chapter 8. Paul, writing to the Roman church, says, I believe that the present suffering is nothing. Okay, I told you I was going to stop you. Uh, Paul has been using wonderful, uh, fantastic, beautiful language up till this point in the book of Romans. And all of a sudden, in verse 17 and 18, Paul starts talking about the present suffering. What is Paul talking about? Uh, Paul, you you said that we were redeemed by the Spirit. You said that we were new creations. You said that, uh, that, yes, all have sinned and fallen short, but it is God who has restored us, redeemed us. And now, in verse 18, you're talking about the present suffering? What present suffering? I thought we were children of God. I thought we were heirs of God. And I want to stop here and, and spend a little bit of time Because this is something that in our world we experience and see a lot. We see a lot of anger with God. We see a lot of doubt concerning whether or not God is good. And not all the time, but sometimes it centers around this question. If God is so good, then why am I suffering? Well, Paul changes the tone in this passage. He says, this present suffering is nothing. Paul is willing to admit that there is suffering in the world. Paul is even willing to say that God is going to work through this suffering. But Paul is not willing to say that there is no such thing as suffering. Paul is not willing to say that because we are believers and followers of Jesus and because the Holy Spirit is at work within us, that doesn't mean that we are disqualified from experiencing pain and suffering. Let me say just to those of you today who may be feeling a little bit anxious, who may be feeling a little angry with God because you're going through something right now or you know someone who is going through something, whether you are feeling doubt about God's goodness today or not, let me say this. Just as experiencing pain and suffering does not disqualify us from being near to God, experiencing anger and wondering when will this end does not disqualify us from the life of faith. Anger and doubt, those are companions along the journey of faith. They don't disqualify us from faith, but having faith also doesn't disqualify us from feeling suffering, pain, and difficulty. So Paul says, I believe that the present suffering is nothing. 
Let's go on and let's continue to read for the rest of this verse, uh, and then I'll stop us again and we'll see what Paul has to say. He says that this present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. This coming glory, what is it that Paul is talking about here? Because, yes, we are willing to acknowledge that there is suffering in the world today. We're willing to acknowledge that we ourselves might even experience it. But what is Paul talking about when he talks about the coming glory? Oftentimes, we read this passage through our own eyes, through the lenses of our own experiences. And since Paul has just talked about present suffering, we might be willing to say that the coming glory is the moment when our suffering is taken away. And Paul does mean that, but not in the way that we often think. Not in the way that we most want. Because what Paul is talking about here is not only our glory, not only the removal of pain and suffering from our life, but in fact the removal and pain, removal of pain and suffering from all of the world. The redemption of all that has been created, of all that God once pronounced good, and that God wants to look upon and once again pronounce as good. So when we read this passage, when we read about the coming glory, for Paul, everything is bound up in this desire, to see the coming age, the time when Jesus will return and when God will redeem and restore all that is around us, including our pain and suffering, but not only our pain and suffering. Okay, let's read the rest of the passage together today, and I promise I won't stop us every three words this time. Starting in verse 19, Paul says, the whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, it was the choice of the one who subjected it, but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now, and it's not only the creation. We ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first crop of the harvest, also groan inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. We were saved in hope. If we, hope, if we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit itself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because it pleads for the saints consistent with God's will. And we know that God works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this because God knew them in advance, and he decided in advance that they would be conformed to the image of his Son. That way his Son would be the first of many brothers and sisters. Those who God decided in advance would be conformed to his Son, he also called and those whom he called, he also made righteous. Those whom he made righteous, he also glorified. Paul sees everything through this lens. The lens of the coming age. The lens of when all of creation will be redeemed and restored. When we will be called and then made righteous and finally glorified with God. This is the lens that Paul wants us to see that the Spirit is trying to provide for each of us. That when we come to God in prayer, that when we have occasion to meet this God, to speak to this God, that all of creation is joining with us as we express this breathlessness and groaning. As we seek for the world to be redeemed and restored. As we seek for God to reveal in this world 
who we are, made in God's image, God's sons and daughters. Paul builds up to this moment. And when we read this passage, there are many things that we could discuss, but perhaps the most pressing in our world is what are we to do now that we know who this Holy Spirit is? Now that we know that the Holy Spirit is crying out with us and on our behalf, what do we do in our moments of weakness? What do we do when we see others experience that kind of weakness themselves? And trust me, that weakness is all around us, isn't it? We see it day after day. We hear about it day after day. In our own city, we've experienced this most recently, where the city has no choice but to mourn. When people around us experience this weakness, this breathlessness, this groaning, when the wind gets knocked out of them, when the doctor calls with news that they weren't expecting, when a parent no longer is able to recognize their own child, when a spouse gets angry, when the boss asks you to pack up your desk. All of us, any number of times, can see this breathlessness, this groaning. We know that our world is in pain and hurting. And into that, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is groaning beside us, groaning with us. But not just the Holy Spirit, that all of creation is doing this. So this is so important for us because this is what we do in these moments, is we turn and we reach for the person beside us. We turn and we reach for our communities. We turn and we reach for God, the God who is going to reveal in each of us that goodness that we were created with, the image of Jesus, who we were created to be and who we are meant to be. We reach for one another, and we express the breathlessness and the groaning. See, in our world, this is not a common remedy. Oftentimes, whenever you experience pain or weakness, perhaps it is because of you. And if you are to experience this, then certainly you're not to to let others know. You're certainly not to invite others into your suffering. Instead, you're supposed to patiently and quietly endure it. And hopefully you'll come out on the other side victorious. But Paul says that the Holy Spirit is working within us, that the Holy Spirit is crying out on our behalf, and that we can cry out with all of creation that is breathless and groaning, waiting for God to redeem this world. I listened to an interesting interview with a a man named uh, Chris Green, Dr. Chris Green, this week. And one of the things that he had to say is that most often, whenever we do this, typically, if we were to call out to God and express our groaning and our breathlessness, that we are most interested in the usefulness of God. That we are interested in what God can do for us. That God can and does have power to take over the weakness, the pain that we're feeling in our situation. And so that's what we're most interested in. He calmly asks us to redirect, to not only be interested in the usefulness of God, but the beauty of God. And this is the lens that Paul is trying to give us, because we read this passage, and we don't read it only with our suffering and only our weakness in mind. We read it knowing full well that in this room, in this community, there are men and women, there are children 
there are those who are suffering, those who are experiencing it themselves. And so Chris Green asked us to redirect, not only for the usefulness of God, not only for the power of God, but for the beauty of God, for what God is trying to do in all of creation. That the coming age is not just about your relief, it's not only about your redemption, but it's about all things that have been made by God, made for God. And so we look to the beauty of God to redeem us and to restore us. I mentioned in one of our Bible classes today that uh, I, read across, I ran across this study by the Barner Group. Uh, Barner Group is a group that, that surveys and polls different Americans to find out about uh, their religious, uh, what they do uh, for their religion. And they found an interesting uh, study last year. And they asked over a thousand people, how do you most often pray? And overwhelmingly, the answer was that most often people pray individually, silently, by themselves. That 82% of the people that they surveyed pray alone and silently. And of course, praying alone and silently is not wrong. There's nothing sinful about that. But it was interesting to see that only 4% of people who they surveyed pray collectively with a community. Whether together in church or together in a small group, only 4% said that that is how they most often pray. And certainly, I'm sure that those 82% who said that they most often pray by themselves and silently also would say that they pray together. But perhaps what the Spirit is trying to do among us is calling out and asking for us to do better at this, to pray with one another, to express the breathlessness and the groaning, our desire to see creation redeemed and restored. Of course, there's nothing wrong with praying by ourselves, but perhaps the work of the Spirit among us today is to pray side by side, to pray with one another and for one another, but not only for ourselves, but for the redemption of all things, that one day we will see the world set to rights, that one day we will see God's good creation restored, and that we can participate in it in the here and now. There is opportunity for breathlessness and groaning all around us, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Our world is no stranger to this difficulty, to pain. The Holy Spirit calls out on our behalf, seeking for all things to be remade and restored to God's goodness. So as we think about who the Holy Spirit is and who God is, it is my hope that we will express this groaning with one another. That when the breath gets knocked out of one of our neighbors, that we will seek to stand beside them, to pray for them, and to pray with them. And when we come to God in prayer, that would not only be something that we do on our own, but something that we do together. Something that we express to God, our desire to see God's good creation restored. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to continue to worship and continue to sing. And as we do that, our elders are going to gather around the sides of the room. We invite you to come and express your groaning and your breathlessness with them. We invite you to come and take advantage of the Holy Spirit's work here today with us. If you would like to know this God, if you would like to participate in who God is, if you would like to put on Christ in baptism and receive the Holy Spirit, we would love for you to come and visit with me as well.